it out. Chant it out. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, coach by coach. We once again are joined by a legend in the coaching industry. However, today we have Mike Silzer from Troy Girls Soccer. Sir, thank you so much for joining the show tonight. Thanks for having me. It's my privilege and just glad to be here. For those of you not familiar with Mike's work, Mike is the head coach of the Troy Girls soccer team, which is a high school team down in Fullerton, and he is a self-taught media guru. He has grown the social media presence of his girls soccer team to prolific levels. So we are going to talk tonight about his journey through the beautiful game, how he became such a successful coach for an elite team, how he has mastered the world of social media to become so prolific within the industry itself. So, sir, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, joining me as always is Chris and Christian, our podcast and crew here at S2S. Boys, good evening. How are we doing tonight? Doing well. Excited about the interview. Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm excited to have Mike. I met Mike on Clubhouse, which we'll talk about later in the interview. And if you're not on Clubhouse, get on it. We're going to start doing some podcast related things with uh, Clubhouse post game and pregame for LAFC. But, uh, you know, get on, get comfortable. So that way, when it comes time for us to actually fully unleash the Clubhouse experience, everybody's our uh, vested veterans. Well, if you'd like to follow Mike on social media, you can join the 11.9 million people that already follow him at Troy Girls Soccer on Instagram. Perhaps I was a bit hyperbolic in that statement, but you do have quite a following, sir. It is very impressive. Well, thank you. 11.9 sounds great, but uh, yeah, just shy of 50K on Instagram and about a little over 100K on TikTok. Appreciate that for sure. Those are Beyonce numbers. That's impressive, sir. <laughs> No, it's been a great experience and, and part of it has been uh, wanting to grow that because I work at the school, you know, it's nothing that I can monetize. So it's just, I wanted to grow that as social proof that I know what I'm doing and, you know, manage a couple brands on the side and hoping Rich will let me help out with LAFC TikTok or Angel City FC will help let me help them with their TikTok. But uh, it's been a lot of fun and, and I've met a lot of great people, including you guys. Thank you, sir. Come on, Uncle Rich. Step it up. All right. You got the man here. So that brings us to today's news in the LAFC world, where we finally got to see some media release of Kim Moon Hwan at the bank. So did you guys get a chance to see any of those photos of Kim at the bank? And how are you guys feeling about his signing and his first exposure to Bank of California? Uh, I thought it was great. I thought that he looked great holding the kit, the number 33 Moon Hwan in the back. The pictures of him in the locker room, in the 3252 stands, on the pitch, it looked really good. And I really, I, I wasn't able to find anything in terms of what his response was to any of those, but I'm, I can't imagine it would be anything other than excitement. Yeah, no, he looks natural in black. Looks good on him. So I wonder how he feels about the stadium now that he's here. The the pitch did look in you know, mid-season condition, which is, you know, good on the, the staff keeping that up. And he got to see the facilities, the the locker room and uh, LAFC HQ. So hopefully he is impressed and I'm waiting for him to impress us because I, I have high hopes for what he can contribute on the right side of the pitch when the season starts. I kind of loved how the way they phrased the photos I mean, he was kind of looking out with this sort of forlorn sense of longing for this, you know, game to return. Uh, and all of that painted a very beautiful picture, I thought. I thought they did a really good job of executing those photos that LFC Rich put out. So great job to the team, as always, with their media work there. In other media news, uh, John Thornton was on Inside the LAFC podcast with Max Bredos, uh, who was just recently on our show. And if you guys would like to listen to our interview with Max Bredos, you can go back to episode 80 and you can check it out with Max Brados. Did you guys happen to catch the interview with John Thornton and how he talked about a lot actually of Brian Rodriguez and the loan to Almeria and, and uh, that, that whole situation. I love how transparent JT is whenever he comes on shows and shouts to Max. He's pretty good at that podcasting thing, you know, so we'll give him some credit for that. But JT was, really honest in stating that a lone move for Raito was not what the club was looking for. We wanted to sell him. We wanted to make it a profitable transaction and go ahead and turn over that DP slot. 
but you have to adjust to the climate of the game. And the climate of the game meant that a lone move for him to the country he wanted to go to with a chance for him to prove himself there and hopefully create a new market for himself. I thought he was very honest in a way that we typically don't see from front offices. And it's always so refreshing, the transparency that this club presents us. But I found it very fascinating that he was that honest about the direction and really validated a lot of the ideas that were floating around that why was it a loan move? Why wasn't it a sale? And and lo and behold, so much of our speculation turned out to be true in that regard. I agree. Now, it was a very telling uh, and transparent interview. Hopefully, John can come on and give us some additional insights. Um, uh, or maybe he can tell us how Brian is adapting. And just from his social media, it looks like he he's still drinking his mate, starting to get minutes now. And they're coming into the run-in. So I am hopeful that he can get more minutes and contribute so that the club can get to La Liga and then that would trigger some you know incentives and a particular price that I'm not sure we're too transparent on yet but you know if he gets what he wants and then we can be profitable and reinvest in the club and hopefully we have other wingers or strikers or midfielders in the pipeline I'm sure that John Thorington despite having COVID kind of impact us he has one or two chess moves in his pocket that he's trying to execute and this is just one piece of that puzzle. You touched on it too how Brian is just getting minutes uh, he did make his debut for the last five minutes of the match against Mallorca which was a 2-0 loss but Mallorca is currently sitting at the top of the table of the Segunda Division for Spain and a 2-0 loss to the top team in the division is not necessarily an indication of the performance of Almedia so we just hope that uh Brian continues to progress and do well because ultimately if Brian does well for this loan, it's going to do well for LAFC. And uh, last bit of uh, new news worth talking about, Kevin Baxter, the LA Times reporter, who is also a co-host for the Corner of the Galaxy podcast for the LA Galaxy. He did an interview with uh, Javier Hernandez, uh, Chicharito, and uh, did you guys happen to catch the interview and, and Chicharito's explanation on why he had such a poor 2020 season? I think it does shed some light on the humanity behind the player. Obviously, look, he plays for Carson. So, you know, we're predisposed to not like him and what he does for his team. I'll have to say, you know, his work prior to that with El Tree and overseas, you know, I supported him personally until he signed with Carson. But to hear what he went through and what he had to persevere throughout the course of last season, your heart goes out to the guy. It does also sort of feel like Carson is really trying to put out a positive PR campaign to really attempt to get people to change the narrative around him and his performance to something more positive. And those kind of apologetics to me, especially when you have a Carson Homer like Baxter show up and, and be involved in it, they're definitely, as much as I want to sympathize with what the man's been through, it feels like there's a lot of confected conversation around it as well, too. And so as much as my heart goes out to the gentleman for what he's had to endure, I also feel like they're playing that a little bit. And I think that's mildly disrespectful to the player as well, too. Obviously, it's in his best interest to navigate the PR conversation positively. But part of me feels that the timing of it and the nature of it was a bit confected, and that takes away from its sincerity. But obviously, your heart goes out to what the man had to endure. And I hope that he lives a wonderful life off the pitch and is still just as terrible this year. Yeah, no, I, I didn't get a chance to read the, the article, but I did listen to MLS Extra Time. And, you know, they touched on this. And, you know, that there was a death of his grandfather, who was, you know, the legacy of the first Chicharro uh, and so on, you know, uh, Mexican hero, I think his spouse or his wife moved back to Australia with his kids, and he had fitness issues, all to say that, you know, like Jonathan said, it seems like it's a pretext to why last year didn't go well, and why they're hopeful that this year, I think he also got a life coach of some sort. Long story short, to me, is some of the athletes that you remember, at least in American sports, is those that can separate their personal stuff and then perform and maintain fitness. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, some of 
basketball players that come to mind to be able to do that. If that's what was going on, he couldn't perform in this year. You know, I'm hopeful it's easier for him and life-wise, but I hope it's just as difficult on the pitch because the league here is more competitive, I'm sure, than he thought. And there's going to be an adjustment period. And maybe he saw it last year, but he wasn't able to perform to that stature. And I think MLS Extra Time did a good job of kind of talking about not having the system or players at this point that plays to his strengths and that hasn't been fixed. So I can agree with you, Jonathan, that there it's a spin. Baxter is a homer. He's on that podcast. And uh, I just think that they're trying to appease some of the fans because last year, you know, was a typical year, at least since LAFC has been in the league for the galaxy. Look, I don't want to make light of mental health issues. We have all in the course of the last year experienced so much loss, so much tragedy. Anything that he is doing, whether it's working with a life coach or not, in order to get to the right place mentally and the inspirational story that that is to so many people in the world who need help processing issues and need help dealing with grief and loss and all those things. That's all a very, very positive conversation. And I hope that the dialogue around this continues to promote positive mental health and is not so focused on promoting a player who did poorly last year and trying to to spin that PR. It's just my concern that Carson is attempting to leverage the angle of mental health and how important that is to all of us in order to speak highly of their star player that underperformed. And I really hope they're not using it to make light of the very serious issue that is mental health, but we shall see. You know what? I think that there is an adjustment period for everybody. We always talk about players coming and having to adjust. And at the end of the day, I want these matches and and the players that are fielded by the galaxy. I want them to be competitive. So I hope that Chicharito is better next year. And I hope that the galaxy are able to put up a better fight because I want this rivalry to be strong and I want it to be relevant. And when one team is not competitive, the rivalry goes away and nobody cares about it. Now, I don't want them to be so good that they beat us on a regular basis, but I want them to be good so that it's a competitive match. And when you have marquee players like Chicharito or Dos Santos, you want them to be healthy, you want them to be fit, and you want the games to be memorable. So I hope that Chicharito comes back in 2021, and I hope that he is better. And with that, that'll go ahead and wrap up the news and notes portion of the show. And let's go ahead and move on to the interview with our guest. Of course, joining us is Mike Silzer of Troy Girls Soccer, sir. We are so blessed to have you with us once again. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Super excited to hang out with you guys. By the way, it's my first podcast. So thank you. Oh, Oh, man, it's great to... It's great, man. Hey, you, you're professional already, man. No nervous jitters. You're doing great. <laughs> I'm just glad to hang out with you guys. I think we're the nervous ones having a legend on the podcast. I think, uh, you know, as many times as we do this, I still get intimidated by the guests, especially one as prolific as yourself, sir. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. You're very gracious. And before we jump into modern day and all of the social media trailblazing you've done over uh, down there in, in Fullerton, I, we wanted to get a little bit more of an idea of how you were introduced to, to the beautiful game, to football. How did this become a passion? How did it all start? Tell us more about that when you get a moment. Yeah, I was born in Papua New Guinea and grew up in Indonesia. My parents were missionaries. And so being a Westerner in, you know, Southeast Asia, I was given more of a special privilege in the sense that I got to play with soccer with the men while the kids my age were playing off on the side and, um, you know, learned to play the game in Indonesia and then came back my senior year of high school, uh, went to Lamrata High School and then went and played at Biola University uh, at the collegiate level and then went on to, to sign a professional contract with the minor league team, the Charlotte Eagles, and also played in what was then the USISL in a local team over here. So it was just a an opportunity that I got learning abroad overseas but then you know I would come back to the U.S. and attend camps or you know do what I could and and learn the game but since a little kid my dream was always to be a professional soccer player so when I did sign that professional contract even though it wasn't a minor league it was still great to achieve a goal that you'd always dreamt about since you were five years old it wasn't like it was the MLS or 
you know, some top team in Europe, but it was still, you know, a great accomplishment. So I, I was just, you know, glad to have that opportunity. So tell us a little bit about Mike, the player, what position did you play? What teams did you end up signing with? And uh, sure. when did you realize that the playing career was going to transition into a coaching career? And how did that lead to your first coaching job? Uh, that's a great question. I think that teaching's in my blood. So both of my mom and dad have doctorates and I have my master's and credential in PE. And as I, you know, pursued my playing career, kind of got to a point that I realized at the time MLS was new. They had combines, but I felt like if I really wanted to take this serious, I would have to go overseas and play, but I didn't really want to make that commitment. So as I pursued after college to, you know, minor league and signing a professional contract in the minor leagues, I realized I was making more money coaching than I was playing, you know, by coaching club. And I started when I was 16 giving private lessons and, you know, basically anything that I, you know, could come up with as far as private lessons or small groups or camps, somehow I just kind of fell into it. It wasn't like I had anyone showing me the way I just kind of, whatever I thought of, I just did it. Right. I just did it and executed it. I started my own club when I was 21, you know, that lasted for about a year. And um, so it kind of was just a natural progression that I realized that playing a professional wasn't going to pay the bills for the level that I was playing at. So I kind of fell back into coaching since I had done that since I was 16 when I moved back to the U.S. And I really enjoyed it. I felt like I was really good at teaching kids, whether it was a private lesson or whether it was coaching a club team. And that ended up that as soon as I was done with playing college, I got the head women's college job at Biola at age 21, which is kind of unheard of, right? Because I was barely out of college. And I'm responsible for all these, you know, young women who are someone's daughters. And it was a lot of responsibility, but I was head women's coach there for seven years. So kind of just naturally went from playing to coaching. And then the rest is history. So when did slammers and youth soccer really come into your life when you transitioned from collegiate level to youth level? Sure. Great question. So I, I was head women's coach at the college and I was also teaching full-time and taking classes to finish my credential and master's. And the school that I was moved to at Troy High School, they wanted me to become assistant athletic director and athletic director. So in preparation for that, I realized I'd have to stop coaching college. So when that transition happened in my day job, I stopped coaching college and you know, basically ended up being athletic director at Troy, you know, for seven years, a couple of years as assistant, and then, you know, four or five years as athletic director. So that was kind of the shift from college to high school and coaching. Are you still currently the athletic director also at Troy I, High School? I'm not, thankfully, about a year and a half ago, you know, stepped down. And so now I just coach girls soccer and teach PE. And then I coached with club with the Slammers and CDA Slammers. So to finish up on that question about seven or eight years ago, we started with the CDA Slammers, and so I, you know, help run the Fullerton branch and the Whittier branch and involved in, in club soccer still. I used to coach a couple teams. Now I just co-coach, you know, one of the Slammers ECNL teams, and, uh, you know, I coach the high school team at Troy, and then I help direct the uh, Fullerton and the Whittier branches at uh, for CDA Slammers. Now, with your time in at Troy High School, you've had some pretty successful runs as of late six years division championship runs and some of the schools that you're competing against like modern day or private schools, whereas Troy high school is a public school. So how have you been able to find that success in that kind of a system when there are powerhouse schools like modern day and some of the other powerhouse schools in the orange County that are a uh, tough competition? Yeah, I think, you know, a few years ago they pushed us to division one and the reality is in division one and even in division two, there's a lot of great programs. There's a lot of great teams. There's just a wealth of talent on the girls side in Southern California. I was with the boys for 10 years. And then now this is, I think my seventh year with the girls, but the girls, there's been a lot of talent at Troy, even before I got there. And so it was just more of putting my stamp on the game. And since they bumped us to division one, uh, when you get to playoffs, to be honest, every game is like a final. You know, I think the furthest we've gone is quarterfinals. 
we lost last year to the state champs, Jay Sarah, and they're a great team. And they were, I think, two or three times state champs. But it's a really good level. And it's exciting to be a part of it. You know, sometimes you might wish, man, I wish we were in a lower level because maybe we could win it all. But it's just really exciting to be in the top level of, you know, high school soccer in Southern California. And to be honest, our social media is number one high school soccer social media in the world, which wasn't that hard to do. We tried to do that to be an example, you know, for other schools of what they could do. But obviously, we prefer winning games and winning championships over having a great social media. But we've been fortunate to have both. The high school I went to in Orange County, obviously, we had to compete against the likes of the modern days and the Jay Saras of the world. What is it like trying to battle from a public school standpoint against the private schools? How do you go after the funding? How do you go after trying to put that competitive imbalance behind you when you go out on the field? You know, that's the great thing about soccer, right? It's on that given day. You know, who can be the best on that given day? And so for me, it's a shame in a sense that many of the high school programs, there are a few people like myself, obviously very few that have been an athletic director, right? That happens to be a soccer coach, but also a high school coach that happens to teach there that I've already coached at the collegiate level. I've been involved in club forever, right? I've coached at the minor league level. I mean, there's very few of us that are still involved in the high school game. And so there are great coaches that are part-time, but it's just such a unique beast in the sense that there's so much more that happens outside of the lines that makes the high school experience so special. And now with No Girls Academy, it's really important, you know, to have the best role models possible because now kids can play ECNL and they can play high school. And we have a great opportunity to make a big impact on these girls or guys' life as they play high school soccer. So have we had success? No doubt. And we're very grateful for that. You know, this season, could we have the same success? No doubt. If we don't, there's so much more that we do. That's There's so much more than just winning. But obviously we play to win and we enjoy winning. Winning's fun. But the role of a high school coach is so much bigger than just success. And even the social media, like you don't, you don't have to be good that, to be good at social media, it helps, but there are so many things that you can do to just make the kids feel special, you know, show their personality or talk about the school or, you know, show your program. You might not be able to show as many highlights on games one or goals scored, but there's plenty of things that you can do. So we've just been really fortunate to have both. And obviously every year you got to prove it again. So here we are again. We just found out by the way, yesterday that we're going to, have full contact Friday and we're going to start our season next week with a scrimmage and start our season the week after, you know, with another game. So, I mean, literally we find out yesterday that we're like, we're here right now, which is great, but a little scary because I'm sure there's very few people that have are ready because for their mental health reasons, we don't want to run them into the ground, not knowing if you're going to have a season, but we're excited that we're actually going to have a season in Southern California. You touched on something. What does that mean, having no academy? And then you you had a couple acronyms after that. Uh, for those that sure. you know, are not familiar with girls' high school soccer and the intertwinement or lack thereof with um, academy soccer, can you explain or expand on that? Yeah, so forever the ECNL has been around and the girls that played ECNL, there was a break in the season so that they could play high school and then they pick up their season after. Because the, the rule is basically trying to protect the student-athlete. They don't want them to play both at the same time. Well, when the academy came around for the girls in California for our time frame, it conflicted. So you had to choose play girls' academy or play high school. You didn't really get to do both. So now that there's no girls' academy, now the kids in Southern California can play ECNL, play high school, and then go back to ECNL. And they don't necessarily overlap too much. It's kind of unique as far as, listen, at Troy, I'm biased. I think the girls have a great experience. I've coached at the college level. I know what it takes to get to the college level. We do want to win, but there's a lot of teaching that's happened to develop the players so that they can get better when they're with us and go back to club better. And then hopefully promote them to the college level if that's something that they want to do. Not every high school has that luxury of having a you know, a professional coach. 
And then again, many schools have a professional coach, but they're a walk-on and that's awesome for the soccer side, but there's just so much more that happens throughout the rest of the year that it's just unique that I'm, I teach there, I coach there. And we, you know, I think that we make a big difference and, and an impact in their life. So speaking of being impactful in their lives in light of the current pandemic and ecstatic that you're finally getting to return to play. But we know the role of coach, especially at the youth level, is often as much life coach as it is sports coach. So in light of the current pandemic, what challenges has that presented to you as a leader in the lives of these young women? And how do you help them through the difficulties that this COVID pandemic has presented? Yeah, great question. I think that Thankfully, our district was very proactive and we had the opportunity to train when many LA schools didn't even have an opportunity to train, even though we had lots of restrictions with social distancing and, you know, daily waiver that you're not sick and whatever, but we were at least able to do some technical work. And I think that for the kids, they looked forward to seeing each other, not on screen, on Zoom, (laughs) in person to see each other. And even though we couldn't do a lot of things, we could still work on some technical things with our social distancing guidelines. And we got to work on things that maybe we wouldn't spend as much time in. So I think it was really beneficial for their mental health and beneficial for, even for the game, even in club soccer, we went through some of the same things. And not that we don't think that the technical work is important, but that was the only thing we could do. So it made us focus on that even more. You know, I am curious to see a year, three years, five years from now, what the ramifications are for the soccer world. What about these kids three, five years from now that they missed out on a year of playing uh, or academically for our kids, especially in LA that maybe have a really hard time getting online and learning. I'm a little worried about the ramifications of what that could mean, but you know what, we'll just have to do the best that we can with it, but uh, only time will tell, you know, what'll happen. But we were fortunate enough that we were able to train most of the time with, you know, very restrictive rules. It just allowed us to focus on technical things and the girls want to see each other. They're social. And if, even if it was the guys, guys want to come and see their buddies and say hello, you know, and kick the ball around. Like that's what they love. So at least for us, we were fortunate that that wasn't taken away from us or stripped from us completely. But I know there were many that were not able to do anything. So we feel really fortunate. You mentioned that in-person interaction was limited or restricted, but that wasn't something you focused on virtually, right? Troy High School Girls Soccer ranks number one in the world right now, like 100,000 TikTok, 50,000 Instagram, 7.5 million interactions, a million views a week. So what was the impetus to start that? What gave you the goal to begin this? And, you know, who taught you? Was it self-taught? How did you learn? Those are the things that, you know, frankly, I think we need to take notes on this part. For sure. I was very fortunate that I had several people that are in the social media industry in different niches. So when I made the transition after 10 years with the boys program, I was asked to take over the girls. And when I did that, I had done the best that I could do with the boys, but my personality is I want to do the very best that I can in every aspect. So as you can see from my screensaver, the field is ridiculous because even that little piece of mowing the field for me is I want to provide the very best environment. Anything that I can do, any resource that I have or any connection I have, I want to make it the very best. So the social media was just starting the social media because I felt like I wanted to control the message and make the kids feel special. So that's why I started the social media, but it evolved into much, much more. When you say a phrase like controlling the narrative, what mattered the most to you in being the one who is behind putting that content out there, as opposed to these young athletes doing it themselves or or having a social media entity within, you know, your school itself, you know, what for you was the driving force behind? And, and you've used that phrase before on previous interviews, controlling the narrative. So, so where's the importance behind that particular phraseology? Our school is unique in the sense that it's a public school, but it's a very academic school. And so many times people in the community, 
that don't have firsthand experience have their own opinions about what our school is about. And so when it comes to our, our program or my program that I'm involved with, a lot of times I would hear things in the community that weren't necessarily true or that I was hearing things that were not necessarily from people who had personal experience. I enjoy marketing. I enjoy promoting things. So my job is to promote who I am, who we are, so that people know without a shadow of a doubt what we're about. At the end of the day, kids in our district get to choose which school to come to. People from outside of our district can choose to test in to come to our school for a variety of reasons. They can't say they come there for soccer, but they can come there for other things and they might happen to play soccer. So it was wise for me to have a long game of promoting who we are and what we do so that if there were people that wanted what we were doing, that they knew exactly what we were about. And that's what I mean about controlling the narrative in the sense that I'm the head coach. So I don't prefer to be on camera, but I try and put myself on camera on live or on other platforms so that I can be vulnerable and show people who I am. Because if they're going to come to Troy, they're going to play for me if they're on varsity. And I want them to know who I am and what I'm about. I, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's a good way to market your program instead of only showing the kids. Like, I'm the leader. I make the decisions. I guide the program. This is who I am. So if you like me, then you have a better sense of, you know, what we're doing. I hope I answered your question. And I think just to piggyback on that, with this day and age when social media and kids enjoying being in the spotlight, I think there's an attractive draw to a team like the Troy High School girls team where they know that there are going to be a lot of people watching these videos. And so anyone that might want to showcase their skills and abilities, this is another opportunity for them to get noticed. I agree. I think that our girls get it that are there and they're very, very fortunate. It's hard to say this. I don't want to come across, you know, as too egotistical. We never practice if the field isn't mowed perfect, pristine, meaning we're going to practice. It's not like we're going to cancel practice because the field isn't mowed. No, we're going to mow before we train so they have the best experience possible. They walk out on the field. The field looks nuts. I want them to dress the part, look the part. I want the field to be as professional as possible to make them feel like they're special. And yeah, I want them to perform at the highest you know, level possible. But I think it's really important that we show them that what they're doing, that they're valuable, that that there's, I mean, listen, you, you go out to LAFC, you feel like you're a part of something. And that's what I've tried to create at Troy, is that when you're at Troy, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And when you go to yeah. LAFC and you look at the field and you, you see the fans in the stands or even you meet, you know, the players and the admin, the social media, everything, everybody feels like it's family. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. And that's what I've tried to do at Troy. I think that's actually a great point that you made. It's, it's all about the culture and creating the culture. And, and uh, it's interesting. Uh, yesterday, actually, I was on Clubhouse and Mike Vogel, who is amazing. If you guys are ever interested in any kind of coaching, there is uh, the coaches training room on Clubhouse and, and they have these training sessions every day. And so the training session I got on yesterday was just talking about culture. And setting your culture and the kind of culture you want to be around. And that's exactly everything you're saying was being echoed in that in that conversation yesterday. And, you know, it's great. And so now that we're actually talking about Clubhouse, why, that's how we met. And I think Clubhouse is amazing. You and I have been able to have long conversations on Clubhouse. And, you know, what do you think about Clubhouse, Mike? Like, what? tell us about the coaches training room and, and some of the other things that you're doing on Clubhouse. This last week, we went back to school hybrid. And so the few, you know, the the month prior being, um, you know, virtual gave me a lot more flexibility to be on Clubhouse. But, you know, everyone says it it's the social part of social media. It's what social media was meant to be in regards to, you know, being social and building relationships. And it's amazing how in a short period of time you can build a rapport with people connect through Instagram and DM through Instagram, but be live and have a conversation with, you know, if you could, if you could manage 50 people on the stage at the same time, 
to have that conversation, I mean, it's just amazing. People from around the world that are coaches or former, you know, professional players or, you know, current professional players or high school coaches or people that have their own soccer business from every continent. We've built like a, a really pretty intimate relationship because of Clubhouse that I've never seen on any other social media platform. And if you're not on, I would encourage you to get on. If you need an invite, you can DM me at Troy Girl Soccer and we'll get you an invite through Coach's Training Room because it's invite only, it's iOS only. But it's just a great resource, you know, to learn and a great resource to network and find like-minded people in really any niche that you're interested in. Ultimately, the whole purpose of being a youth coach and training these young athletes at a professional level is the goal to try and create, well, not only balanced and self-actualized adults, but to create professional athletes. And through your work with the International Soccer Academy, there's some, been some recent press over the signing uh, with Mallorcan side of Creighton Braun. And we're curious what it feels like to have a player that you've worked with go and sign one of those professional contracts overseas are there other players you've worked with in the past that have gotten those professional contracts when you work with someone at a youth level that then goes on to become a professional? What does that feel like? It's pretty exciting. There have been a few players that I've been fortunate enough you know, to work with. One of my college players, she was from Holland, and when she finished playing for me at Biola University for the women, she ended up playing for the Dutch national team you know, afterwards. And it was pretty cool to feel like I had a part in that and we're still friends. We still chat, you know, we'll, we'll call through Facebook or call through Instagram. Matthew Hoppy is the most recent one, you know, that's been in the news. He was involved in one of our youth programs in our local youth club when he was like seven or eight, you know, like, and I didn't even follow him. And one of my buddies sent like, did you see Matthew? He scored a hat trick for Shaka. You know, this was what, a couple of weeks ago. And, the first American to ever yeah. score a hat trick in the Bundesliga, right? Yeah, let's get him signed up for uh, the national team. There you go. And it was just, you know, a lot of times for coaches, you don't always get the thank you. You don't always get the whatever, but it's just kind of just something we do. And we like to be in the shadows and watch their success. And, and you know what, to be honest, there's many a player that we coach that don't make it to that next level that mean just as much or more because of who they become as a person. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy about coaching. Yeah, is it great to see a player play on the professional stage? You know, one of my former girls that I coached, she also, she played pro in Australia. And now she, I mean, back in, in the U.S., it was pretty cool because I saw her at U12, U13, U14, U15, U16. And I remember the things that I had told her, you know, and taught her. But she's a great person. And I think, because of sport like that, that's really what stands out is those life lessons that we, you know, that we teach. And in regards to International Soccer Academy, for me, it's one of my clients that I manage their, help manage their social media. So I run their TikTok. I help run some of their videos on Instagram. It's a very new program and they have a new partnership uh, with the Bundesliga club that they're looking for the top U17, I think even U16 players. They're going to be doing kind of a nationwide search there's a nine month program that they can participate in with, in, you know, basically a residency program with a Bundesliga club. And it's very forward thinking. It's very exciting. So I'm really, you know, proud to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, it's International Soccer Academy ISA on Instagram. It's just really exciting to be a part of something that's different, that's that's fresh, that's trying to provide the very best for our, our local kids. You briefly mentioned uh, one of your typical experiences at a LAFC match, but can you walk us through the very first time you walked into the Bank of California Stadium? <laughs> what, did you, what did you think? What did you feel? What was in your mind at that point? Yeah. My first time actually walking into Bank of California was a week prior to opening. There were construction like crazy, but everything was done enough that you could get a really good glimpse of what it was like. I mean, literally like, you know, downstairs, in the field club, you know, or upstairs at sunset, or, you know, you got a sense of what was going to happen with nobody there except for the construction workers. But we were fortunate enough the second time that I went, our club was in charge and myself was in charge of having 
a scrimmage to test the VR, to test the lights, to test the sound. So our Slammers Club was asked to bring two teams, which we brought two girls teams. So my boss and I were there to make sure everything went well. And we had some, a few parents that got to come. I think we were the first team to play on there, even before the first team got on there, that we did a scrimmage against each other to be able to, again, test the VR, test the lights, test the sound. And wow, what an amazing, I mean, listen, you walk in there before, it's amazing. You you walk on that turf, you're not supposed to touch the grass, but of course we we reach out and touch the grass, right? It's amazing. But then when you get to play in it and be out there, I had my daughters with me. I have pictures and videos of them scoring on the goal while the other where our teams were warming up but i have to say i feel like my daughter scored the first goals at bank of california because i don't know if anyone had trained prior to that and <laughs> i see my daughter I'm, I'm telling you the truth i have the videos of my daughters and i'm like hey go score it they're not no one's shooting yet like be the first one to score maybe somebody maybe some of the workers were scoring. who knows but i i feel like we scored the first goals at the bank that's when, an amazing claim to fame right there that no, is a fun sure. fact for history I'll send you the videos for sure. And then, you know, to be there at a game, there's a variety of places that we sat. We sat above the supporter section for a while, which is amazing because you have the, the greatest view in the house, right? You see, you're looking over the supporter section, you hear the rowdiness and the excitement below you, the smoke coming up, but you get a perfect view and you're looking at the big, massive TV on the other side. You can see the game, fantastic. But to be, on the field, you know, in the field club, literally on the field, feet away from the Visso Kobe game, Iniesta. I, I, I have, I, I shared some video, like literally Iniesta is right. I'm filming with my iPhone and it looks like I could reach out and touch it, right? Or Vela or Rossi or whoever. Just awesome. Like it, and the people there from the vibe in the pregame, we would always go through the pregame, go early, hang out meet people we we wouldn't bring anything we just go meet people right hey what's up go meet people enjoy that experience go into the into the game and it didn't matter where we sat it was just exciting i remember sitting right in front of the owner's box we score i turn around you know there's will ferrell high-fiving his wife you know magic johnson same thing or tom or whoever you know, sticks sometimes was in there. And it's just like, didn't matter where you sat. Everybody felt like a family supporting LAFC. And it, I don't know. I think obviously it was very intentional, but anytime you bring a guest, they automatically fall in love with this, you know, and again, I know Rich had a, a lot to do with that, but just I mean, I'm sure it was similar to you. It didn't matter where you sit. It's just, it's so exciting. It's so exhilarating. And anybody, you could walk up to anybody and make a friend because we were there for the same reason. Absolutely. You know, we, we all have had that experience with LAFC and that's part of the reason why we're so drawn into this club. Yeah, I'm interested to know, you've been part of the soccer culture in Los Angeles and the Orange County for decades. What kind of changes do you feel like you've seen come to LA and Orange County since LAFC has emerged? Obviously, prior to LAFC, I mean, there was only one other team to support. And by support, I mean, I would go to a game. I would watch on TV. I won't say that who that club is, but when LAFC came, it was different for me. You know, whether it was new or whether, you know, it was just one of those things that it just made sense for me. I wanted to be a part of it. I felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. And it was easy to get attached quickly and feel like I'm a part of LAFC. Obviously, we had some inside track as far as being on the field and our club was affiliated with LAFC and we had relationships yeah. with people that were in LAFC, but it felt personal. And that's what made it you know, exciting. But prior to that, there was only one option, but it never felt like it felt at LAFC. Now, are you excited about the prospects of Angel City FC and what that could also then do for Los Angeles and Orange County? For sure. I mean, I, I'm going to say this right here so all the Angel City FC people can can know. Let me run your TikTok, Angel City FC. Come on. <laughs> I'm the best person to run your TikTok. Rich, LAFC. I have the biggest video 
that's been posted for LAFC at 750,000, whatever, on some random account that I have bigger than what you have on LAFC. But I, I would love to be a part of telling that story in TikTok words because it's a craft and Angel City FC is going to be special. The community wants to grab hold of something for the women's game. So it's going to be special. Obviously, LFC has done a great job, but for Angel City FC and the women's game and for me being involved in the women's game, I want our kids to be able to fall in love with and have that that kind of same feeling and experience that they feel at LAFC, but for the women's game. I don't know if I answered your question, but. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I'm interested to, you know, it's just, it's, you're such, you're so intertwined with the young women in this, in this sport. And it's uh, it's exciting time for anyone who is a fan of football in Los Angeles. There's a lot more options now than there were five years ago, even, you know, and it's, it's just an exciting time for sure. Well, for the women's game in general, it's exciting. I know there's, it seems like there's room to grow on what money we go after to continue to pay the players better for being professionals. But I believe if anybody can do it well, we can do it well, you know, in LA. And however I can be a part of it, heck yeah, we're going to support it as best as we can, you know, and, and, not that our 50,000 Instagram followers is very much compared to some, but we have an influence and we want to influence and be a role model. We want Angel City to be a role model for the youth out there. And for sure, I mean, you know, Orange County is different than L.A. County. You know, for Sticks, he does a phenomenal job in Watts and in the L.A. community to, to be a philanthropist, thinking outside the box, providing opportunities and things for the community that, that they don't have for themselves. And we've been fortunate enough for our program and for me to have a relationship with sticks to help however we can using the sport of soccer to, you know, help whatever endeavors he's pursuing with his foundation with the think Watts foundation, but for any other organization that's out there, however, we can help. We want to get involved because we want to promote the game. You know, I know Shauna Gordon has a, a great foundation called football for her, you know, focused on lower income, you know, kids and giving them opportunities. But if there's other people out there that are doing that, we want to, we want to know so we can help promote them and we can collaborate with whoever, however, because for us, we just want to promote the game and promote all the great things that they're doing. And obviously for Angel City FC, why not, you know, Troy Girls Soccer, <laughs> we, we can help. I think we're significant. I think we're significant, but you know, and, and again, it's not for us. Like I want to promote angel city FC for real, not just, there's not, there's nothing in it for us. We don't make money from it. We just want to promote the game and promote what they're doing. Sounds to us like you would like to stand shoulder to shoulder, Troy girls soccer with angel city FC, which brings us to our final question this evening, sir. You have been very generous with your time and we are sincerely appreciative of that. But our final question for you tonight, sir, is the name of our show, and it's our question we ask every guest. And that is, sir, what does shoulder-to-shoulder mean to you and the Troy Girls Soccer? That's a great question. And I think, you know, we've proven this in what we've done. It doesn't matter who we meet, where we meet them, what walk of life people are in, however we can, you know, support or encourage or lift up or just be physically with people or virtually with people that's what we want to do and for me the shoulder to shoulder means we didn't meet except for through social media but i feel like we have a connection and no matter who you know if you said hey mike or troy girl soccer meet my friend so and so we're already family because of the game yeah, because of LAFC or be, even if they support another club because of a game. And so for me, shoulder to shoulder is no matter what walk of life that we're in, no matter if they're a soccer, you know, slash football fan, it doesn't matter in the LA community, Orange County community, Southern California, United States community. We just want to support one another and be there for one another and be real, be authentic. And if we can inspire, we want to inspire. If we need to just listen and soak it up, so be it. But shoulder to shoulder means that we're going to be present, that we're going to be everything that we can to encourage another human being, whatever that means. 
And even if we have different thoughts or we disagree on things, or if we agree on things, it doesn't matter. Human being to human being, virtually or in person, shoulder to shoulder to me means that we're going to be present. We're going to show respect. We're going to be there and show up however we can to support, you know, promoting the good of the game or promoting, you know, again, human rights or, you know, again, for, for whatever the cause is that we can use our influence to do that. So I hope that answered your question, but the power of this podcast and the power of social media and great if we can meet in person too, but we've realized through COVID that we can still develop these great relationships, even virtually. And then it becomes even sweeter when we see each other in person. Well, amen to that. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us this evening. Again, joining us tonight was Mike Silzer of Troy Girls Soccer. If you would like to join the 725 million followers that Troy Girls Soccer has, that is again at Troy Girls Soccer on Instagram. The TikTok, which I am not on, but I hear is the thing at the rage with, with the young people there. So you're doing a fantastic work promoting the game here in the Southland. We sincerely appreciate everything you do for review soccer and the greater landscape that is football here in the Southland. So hats off to you, sir. You're doing amazing work. It is our pleasure to put a spotlight on it in our own little world, the LAFC world. And you've done a fantastic job promoting these young athletes throughout the world. So thank you, sir. And hats off to the work you're doing. I appreciate it. And uh, when Angel City FC reaches out or when Rich calls me, I'll be the first to thank, you know, your podcast for making it happen. (laughs) that's awful kind of you sir Uh, well that's going to wrap us up for today's show so on behalf of Chris Christian sound engineer Wilton and myself Jonathan we'd like to thank you all for listening to episode 82 of shoulder to shoulder podcast as always Take us home, sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.